Bree, thanks for joining me today from from down the road. Yeah, yeah, excited to be on. Yeah, so for you guys just heard, Bree is the strength and conditioning coach for the women's basketball team here at the University of Pittsburgh, greatest university in the greatest city in the world. But a um, little biased there, kind of. <laughs> but so, Bree, let's start with so, um, how you got against how you got into coaching. You know what? What did you study in college, and then what did that lead into? Yeah, so um, I actually played college soccer um, just at like a small like mid-major division one school at Southern Utah University and I studied exercise science and human performance and when I was graduating college I knew I still wanted to be involved in sports and at that point I thought I wanted to coach soccer actually um so you're missing out on a great time by the way (laughs) yeah um so obviously with soccer being my background like I grew up in Germany and played on like German club teams so that's always been a part of like my identity. Um, so I got an assistant coaching job at Shattuck St. Mary's. It's like a sports mm-hmm. academy out in Minnesota. Um, and I was just an assistant coach for like their U17s and U19 teams um, right out of college. And pretty quickly realized <laughs> that I um, loved playing soccer. I did not like coaching soccer. Um so, but I also had a, the responsibility of like the strength and conditioning program um, at Shattuck. Mm-hmm. So was able to just kind of like full deep dive into that. And I had a really great um, strength coach in college. His name's Alan Bishop. And he's actually become like a really big mentor to mm-hmm. me, um, you know, throughout my entire coaching career. So uh, when I realized that you could be a strength coach full time and yeah. Um, that was still a way for me to one, like coach and be around like athletes and team settings, mm-hmm. which is ultimately like what I still wanted to do. Um, I was like, uh, yeah, let's do this. Like I like definitely hands down saw this as like what I wanted for a career, not just like something to do out of college. So right. um, was at Shattuck for two years and did that and then got the opportunity to go do my GA out at Utah State. Um mm-hmm. And was out there for about like 16 months, but worked obviously with like the women's soccer team primarily um, and worked with that coaching staff and assisted, you know, with everybody else too. So I was doing football, softball, basketballs, gymnastics, all all that good stuff. Um, So, yeah, I mean, and then obviously um, got a call down at the University of Houston um, initially it was only for women's basketball. So, um, kind of took the leap down there. And I think after like my first year there, I got approached about, um, taking over soccer cause they heard a soccer person was in the basketball building. Right. <laughs> so, um, was able to work with, um, Diego and his staff for mm. about like another almost two years. And then, um, got another call about the NWSL and took right. that. Um, and yeah, and then obviously did that for the season and, um, got a really good opportunity here at the University of Pittsburgh, um, to work back in women's basketball. So here I am. (laughs) Yeah, here you are. Here you are. Wow. That's quite the career path. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so what would you say foundationally when we're talking training soccer players? I know you're going to have to shift your mindset here for for a quick second, right? But when, when we're talking training uh, soccer players in general, what are some of the foundational <clears throat> foundational elements that you think every soccer player should be able to do, rather, rather female or male? 
Yeah, you know, um, I think some of that is like always going to be like it kind of depends. Like, yeah, that, that's like the number one answer, and when it comes to the strength and, and conditioning realm, right? It always depends. Yeah. I mean, like obviously, energy system development, and I feel like especially with like development of like the game in general in the last like you know ten years, obviously it's become like a lot faster in transition, kind mm-hmm. of. Um, like style of play, I think you could see like across right. we have better athletes, people are training better. Um, mm. But I think like some of those like foundation things of like repeated sprint ability, um, like max speed velocity and that type of sense has been like, you know, kind of like a foundation for me. Because, um, you know, I think way back when everyone used to think, oh, like you just need to be able to run five miles, like, but right, right. watch the game of soccer. It's, you know, constant stop, start, you know, you have to be mm. direction on you know, a, a flip of a coin, like, and it's not just right. once or twice, you're doing it repetitively over and over. So obviously looking at that, like how you're going to train that from, you know, a physical standpoint, um, you know, just putting people in positions, obviously like my coaching philosophy is a pretty like holistic approach. So, right. you know, I'm not just looking at like just the weight room or I'm not just looking at, you know, um, just fitness, you know, how mm-hmm. is that kind of all tying together with like the coaching model and the player model mm-hmm. and then just how each individual position is going to be asked to coach. Obviously, if you're sitting in like a 4-4-2 block, you know, it's going right. to be a bit different than if you're playing a 3-5-2 where you're expecting some of those right. backs to get forward. So, you know, there's there's a lot of depth to that question, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think in like the collegiate setting in particular, which is where I've spent like most of my time, mm-hmm. um, like I just really believe in like basic doing the basics really, really well. Um, and I just feel like, especially females in general, I think it's getting better. Um, especially because of, you know, like a lot more attention being put into like some of that youth level and club soccer. Mm -hmm. Um, I just feel like a lot of females come into college, like under trained in terms of like the weight room and like their strength Mm -hmm. capacities and just basic levels. So for me, it's just building up some like really great basics in terms of like just being able to do like full range push ups, full range right. squat, you know, full range chin ups, and just yep. get them into a place where they have like a really good foundation. And then from there, I feel like then you're really able to look at some more individualized training, you know, how is that going to fit into like a four year plan? Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if that really answers the question. Yeah, like, no, absolutely. What um, I mean, the the squats, the pushups, the chin ups, you know, the the basic exercises, full range of motion. Yeah. Where do you think soccer players are most efficient at, in terms uh, of like in the weight room, I guess, and performance wise? Um, you know, I think, I think one thing that obviously I've seen like quite. I mean, and it's really great is that, especially like my female athletes, I feel like they're probably the most like mobile um, of like an athlete that I typically train. And I think that just comes in because of like the extreme ranges that they're obviously like doing repetitively, whether that's like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's just a part of like both offensive technique and like defensive technique. So I feel um, soccer players I've worked with in particular, I feel like they've been like extremely mobile. Um, which makes it a lot easier to load them and get them in like really Mm -hmm. good ranges. um, So Mm -hmm. we can actually build more robust athletes. Um, You know, obviously like, you know, sometimes you run into like basketball players who are constantly taped up all the time. They're on such a hard surface. 
you know, sometimes some of that mobility is pretty in, uh, is pretty limited. So, you know, you got to kind of fix that first before you can really start to get into like the nitty gritty of training. Yeah. Um, so I think so that mobility being like the ankle starting at the ankle, because I know uh, yeah, yeah. Love to have their, their ankles taped and sprained ankles are, are big ones. Yeah. So. so I feel like you know, the biggest thing that I've kind of seen is obviously like that lack of ankle mobility, which obviously, mm -hmm. you know, traveling up the kinetic chain you know, start causing some issues in the knees and the hips. But sure. um, I feel like, you know, a lot of my female soccer players generally have like really, really great, um, you know, mobility, whether that's, you know, um, some of their hip internal rotation, external rotation, um, some of their ankles or subflexion, which makes it a lot easier and you can progress a lot faster um, right. from a training standpoint. And then obviously like an efficiency, efficiency standpoint, um, you know, when you're working on like change of direction or agility or things like that. So, right. so you just touched on it briefly, but could you just dive into, you know, just quick, quick, like one or two minutes on how, like why ankle mobility is crucial for not, I mean, not just soccer players and basketball players, but of course those, but you know, and athletes in general and how it, how it can relate to, you know, so many deficiencies moving up the body. And like you said, in the knee and the hip. Yeah. You know, um, I think if you're looking at it from, you know, a kinetic chain standpoint, right? Um, and it doesn't just have to be the ankle. It can be, you know, sometimes like your hips are um, a little bit less mobile. You know, at some point in time, whether that's, you know, you're changing direction or, um, you know, absorbing force to then be reapplied. Um, mm. If you aren't capable of absorbing that force, it's going to go somewhere. So obviously from a soccer standpoint, when you're in positions where you're constantly changing direction at really, really high speeds, if you are, you know, an elite level player, you know, right. if you don't have the capability of, you know, absorbing some of that force that's coming in to then reapply because your ankle dorsiflexion only goes, you know, a certain amount of degrees, um, mm -hmm. it's going to go somewhere. It doesn't just disappear. So, you know, typically that's why you see, you know, it will start traveling up the chain. Right. Um, you know, that's, you know, not the only reason. It's a small reason as to why, like, you know, female soccer players in general are a little bit, you know, more at risk for knee injuries or, you know, if you're mm -hmm. lacking hip internal rotation, if you're restricted in that regard, it's going to travel somewhere else. And, you know, it's usually the joint right. above or below. So mm -hmm. um, in that regard, like, that's kind of why it's, you know, pretty important. Um, obviously, from like a training standpoint, um, with the ankle mobility in general, um, you know, it allows, if you believe in, um, deep squatting, um, it allows That's my next question. Yeah. yeah. So it, it allows obviously, um, the knee to track further over the toe, which, um, in a very simplistic way, just allows the quadricep to, um, be utilized a little bit more. And obviously when mm -hmm. you're talking about that more specifically, the VMO, which, is your knee stabilizer. Right. Um, so if you're just looking at building a more robust athlete, in particular female athletes, you know, that's something that I I find really important to develop and make sure that it's, you know, functioning properly and being loaded properly. Because um, at the end of the day, if you watch practice, um, I mean, just take your, you know, number 10, how many times are they cutting enough that their knees going over? Right. Oh, they're already in that position a lot. So mm -hmm. you know, there's a reason why you should probably be training it as well. Yeah. So that, that's a, I think that's a big controversy in the strength and conditioning world, right? The, some people say no knees over toes got to be a vertical shin. Some people, you know, are right with it. Now I know 
because, you know, I've seen uh, Alan Bishop's work on Instagram and like his stuff, and obviously I've seen yours, and, you know, you you worked with him. But, you know, why why should we be training knees over toes? And I know you just mentioned it, but, I mean, I'm talking, like, full range of motion with the knees over the toe and in that sense. Yeah, you know, um, I think it's always important to remember, right? Like, it's not that one way is better than the other. It's just a matter right. of, you know, but, you know, philosophically and I think long-term development I think that is where it really comes into play you know strength is very joint specific um mm. so don't get it twisted like do I do partial range training of course right like if I'm right, training right. adaptation um you know there's going to be ranges that we want to work in to optimize right but mm. if we're looking at you know we're getting these kids when they're you know 17 18 years old and you're right. looking at you know, four to five year plan, um, you know, there aren't very many people who can, you know, quarter squat or that can quarter that they can quarter squat 500 pounds, but can't full range, um, right. front squat 500, um, mm -hmm. and vice versa. Right. I, I've watched, you know, athletes full front squat, you know, 315 pounds and could easily front squat more than that in a partial range. So right. it's just a matter of, um, you know, I think they're being put into extreme ranges in sports. I think in particular with soccer, like you see that quite a bit. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that if you're going to build the most robust and prepare them for the demands of the game um, and they're being put in those positions anyways, why not make sure that they're extremely right. strong in those extreme ranges? Because um, at the end of the day, like that's going to build resiliency. That's going to build that's going to build, you know, the development and standard, um, when mm -hmm. at, um, you know, injury mitigation. Um, right. so that's kind of the way that I look at it again, like there's a million ways that for people to get strong. Um, right. but the reason why, like, I really do believe in that full range of motion and extreme, what people might say are extreme ranges is because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like, those are the same um, patterns that they're going to be seeing in an, un in right. an uncontrollable environment. Um, so in my opinion, put them in those ranges, load them, teach them how to control it through those ranges in a controlled right. environment. And I think at the end of the day, like you'll find it's a lot more successful than unsuccessful. Um, For sure. For sure. So. Yeah. So what are, what are some similarities now you're seeing after being in the pro game in the women's game and in, uh, in basketball players, you know, in terms like, you have your overall, I guess, foundational philosophy on how you want to train, but um, in terms of, I guess, how how would you train a point guard different than a midfielder, and how would you train, and would you train a goalkeeper like differently than, you know, a, a center or something like that? You know, how how can you compare those? Yeah, um, I mean, I think just if you're looking at like the overall sport, right? Um, I think soccer and basketball are actually a lot more similar than what people 100%. might think. Um, you know what's funny? Sorry, like I didn't understand. I, so I, I grew up playing basketball like my whole life. And, I, and oddly enough, I think I had like better basketball, foundational basketball coaches than I did soccer. So I understood yeah. the game of basketball much more than soccer. So what, uh, one day, like one of my coaches told me, like just mentioned basketball in one in a training session. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I, I get it now because like the way the back four shifts is so similar to like a two three zone. So I'm like, 
Yeah. Okay, that makes sense to me. So it, it's it is very similar, and even you know, like so many professional women's women's players right now, especially goalkeepers. Um, you know, they played Have basketball growing up. Like Tim Howard is my favorite, but yeah, I mean, basketball is is in their DNA in some way. Yeah, and it's actually interesting because I feel like um, I've actually met quite a few basketball players who originally were also playing soccer. That's um, interesting. Yeah. Just kind of when they got to that age, they picked basketball, obviously. Right. But, you know, I think in in the, like, generalized sense, like, it's a lot of repeated sprint ability in both of them. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, soccer with the dimensions, you're going to be reaching, like, obviously, max speed is maybe a little bit more um, important in that regard, in that development. But mm -hmm. acceleration, deceleration, mm -hmm, um, sure. you know, explosiveness whether that's getting up for a header or going up for a layup um right. you know it's very high intensity um in those like top end moments um obviously basketball is a little bit more overhead of a sport um so i'd say like that in general is probably the biggest training difference um between like what i would do for a basketball or soccer player uh, yeah. my thought is to, sorry to interrupt because obviously i'm the goalkeeper coach and I, th I feel like majority of the audience are goalkeeper coaches uh -huh. or goalkeepers. Do you think, like, I, I think goalkeepers should train probably more similar to how you would train a basketball player over a soccer player. Yeah, I mean, I would, I mean, obviously I think the, like, basic foundations is that, my like, my husband's a goalkeeper coach as well, so okay. if me, if I use, like, their set position, if that's not right, but he'll right. kill me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, obviously like when they're starting in like their set positions, they're going to generally be like, you know, both legs, but they're also doing like a lot of single leg movements. Like you'd see sure. field players are obviously like kicking the ball, um, mm. like field players, but I would definitely agree. Like that position in particular, you're probably going to want to be incorporating some more additional overhead movements, yeah. obviously, because you want some of that upper body, like structural balance to be a lot more even keeled, then maybe you might want to focus in on like a field player. But I will say like the upper body development for field players is extremely important um, because those have implications to acceleration. So if you're talking mm -hmm. about trying to get faster, um, training the upper body is actually just as important. Um, if you're trying to develop that, like from a holistic standpoint as well. Right. So it does kind of make me laugh a little bit when, you know, people are like, oh, field players don't need to do arms. And it's like, well, actually, like, everything's it, kind of connected. So if you know. Yeah. And like, right. No, I, th I think I even saw a while ago an article how if you're better at chin-ups, the, like, the, the best people that can be able to do chin-ups are, are the faster ones. So yeah. I thought that was very interesting That's as well. Honestly, like, one of my like for so well, female athletes in general, like a cape right. for me is being able to do obviously like a weighted full full range body chin up um, mm. for like an upper body exercise. Obviously for goalkeepers, um, I also like to work into like overhead pressing. Um, right. That's obviously really important. And that's kind of, you know, a KPI for me for basketball. So for that's sure. somewhat similar. Um, but I think lower body wise, I mean, between basketball and soccer, they're doing pretty similar movements. Um, depending on the position, I, you know, I think obviously like the wings and the point guards are probably a little bit more similar to like those center midfielder positions where they kind of have to change direction, you know, a mm. quicker and a lot tighter spaces versus like right. five and maybe a center back. Um, right. So I think like in that regard, like there might be small nuances, but 
mm-hmm. at the end of the day too, like what I said, like the age groups that we're working with in this collegiate setting, like they're coming in underdeveloped and underdeveloped and undertrained. So, you know, I think the biggest bang for your buck, like I said, is can they do basics really, really well? And then from right. there, like you can really specify out, but at the end of the day, like most of them, like, I mean, I've trained very few freshmen that can come in and like do the things that I'm asking them to do at a really high level, um, right. a lot of really great control and through like full ranges of motion because they haven't trained mm-hmm. that before. So, right. Let's talk plyometrics a little bit. So <laughs> it's big in the goalkeeper industry. And obviously I know it, I know, um, for basketball it is too. I, I'm assuming that, and I don't like to assume, but my guess is you don't really do much plyometric training in season. Now, what out of season, if you are doing that, and I guess even for goalkeepers, what would you, what were your, what would your favorite plyometric exercises be? And what would you recommend if you had to pick a top three? And I know it's probably going to depend, but let's say we're talking about a, like a advanced high school, college athlete, professional athlete, one of those. Yeah. Um, you know, the way that I kind of approach like plyometric training and correct, like in season, we don't do, I mean, unless I have like a red shirt or someone like right. going through that return to play protocol, um, I typically avoid that. Cause obviously they're getting that through like practice. Right. Um, like we obviously do like the force plate testing. So, yeah. um, that's a little bit different, but honestly, like just jump mechanics in general mm. is just something that, uh, like, is the first thing that I start with. Um, like eventually I like to work into like depth drops and like force absorption um, in that regard. But I've been very surprised that when either soccer or basketball, and I think more surprising the basketball world, that when you Mm -hmm. ask some of these athletes to just do a basic jump, how unathletic they look and how, right. Right. Um, that they like their body is in space when it's not in like the um, when it's not in like the run of play. Um, right. So I actually spend more of my time kind of breaking down just basic technique first. Um, mm-hmm. I typically like the most I've gone into like a serious like bio progression, whether that's depth drops, like weighted depth drops um, yep. with like additional jumps or into like single leg work. I really didn't mm-hmm. get into until like almost like my third year at Houston. Um, when we've kind of like had mastered the basics in that regard. Um, so, but I also really do like med ball work. I think that's really great. Mm -hmm. Um, especially like, like like throwing, you mean? Yeah. And just like, um, different types of like slams and things like that. I think those are really, really basic, um, plyo work that I'll do. And you typically like don't need super heavy equipment for it. Um, and you Mm -hmm. don't need to do a ton of reps on it. Um, I think that's kind of where a lot of people go wrong is, you know, doing that's a 15 is like plyo work. And it's like, no, that's a three. Um, you're not getting out of it, then you're probably not Mm -hmm. the right way. So (laughs) yeah, no, I mean, you see that let's in like all the like exercise classes, like CrossFit type of stuff. Like they're just throwing that thing around forever. I'm like, Oh my, I mean, I've done it before and it's not entertaining. Throwing it three times is, is a lot more fun. I'll say that. Yeah. So that's kind of, I don't really know if that like gives like a ton of specificity in yeah. that regard, but uh, like I've just found like with the athletes that I've worked with in the most part, like I've had to just more so go back to just like basic technique, basic, before yeah. like honestly really get into like 
some of the more quote unquote advanced plyo work. Right. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like a technique depth drops in and then med ball worker would be, you know, your top three. Mm-hmm. Now coming in, I don't know if you've had trouble with this before, but if you have, I'd love to hear about it. Um, Cause you talk about it. If you, if there is a time where you've had trouble, like getting buy-in from either your NWSL experience or, you know, even just coming into a new program here at Pitt, you know, how to like not, cause I, I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of athletes like to have a coach who's played the sport and who understands the sport and you have the experience working in strength conditioning. So that helps. But you know, is there, was there ever a time where, you know, the, the athletes didn't necessarily believe what you were putting out there because, because of, you know, quote unquote, lack of experience other than your division, you know, you're playing division one. Yeah. Um, from like a soccer standpoint, um, the teams that I've worked with, um, I don't, I don't feel like I've run into that problem. Um, mostly just because it's, I mean, and like you, you'll understand this too. Like when you can speak the language of the sport, um, right. it honestly like goes a lot further than like what you might even believe. And then, you know, obviously like when I was working at Utah state, when I was working at Houston, um, like having, I mean, the quote unquote street cred, because I played yeah. like division one soccer as well, right. like, obviously it's a lot easier for me to say like, yeah, look, I get it. Like, yes, I used mm-hmm. to do some stuff like this too. Like it's a little bit more relatable, like in the collegiate sense, um, like the NWSLs, you know, obviously it's just kind of like a different culture and the, and yeah. of, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, like they're all pros. So like all their own commodity. Um, and like, if they're the ones that aren't performing, they're the ones that aren't going to get the contract. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was interesting, obviously being a part of like an expansion team because you know, you're going to get all over. Um, and we had a really, really young team, but at the same time, like we have, you know, world-class footballers like Nadia Nadine, like you can like Emily Fox, you know, so Mm. you're talking about like the elite of the elite. Um, so it might not necessarily have been about only what I wanted. Um, obviously like I had a, I, I had a hand in a lot of different pots there in terms of just like training and, um, setting up like training sessions and nutrition and things like that. So, you know, my biggest goal when I was there was just to obviously provide as much value as I could to each individual, you know, player that we had and whether they, um, accepted that, whether I inspired them enough to kind of like come along with what I was saying, you know, Mm -hmm. is up to them. Um, but obviously in the college setting, it's a little bit different where it's a lot more development based, Um, you know, from the pro setting, it's, it's more like, look, like this is the year that I get. If I don't do what I need to do, if I'm not performing, like I might not be back next year. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it's a lot less dependent on like development. It's more of like, you got to like show up and perform. So, right. um, but I'd say like from the college setting with basketball, um, obviously that's not like my background, but mm-hmm. I think just the way that I kind of approach training in general, um, and the way that, you know, the team's kind of set up, like you're not really working with like 30 to 35, you know, soccer players, you only have like 14 kids. So it becomes a lot more like personalized in the sense of there's a lot more room for like smaller group training. There's a lot more time to kind of have those like one-on-one discussions as you're training. 
Um, so I've really like utilized my time, you know, at Houston and then obviously stepping in here at Pitt, um, you know, in November when season's already started, you know, the, the name of the game isn't to flip the boat over and say, yeah, we're going to do it my way or the highway. It's right. Hey, look, you know, this is, this is my expectation. This is why we're doing what we're doing. This is why we're going to continue to do this. This is why we're going to slightly change this. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it just comes down to, you know, education because ultimately like coaches are teachers, right? Right. So, you know, I think just if you're looking at from that sense, like if I can't explain to one of my players why I'm having them do, you know, a split squat at a four one XO tempo and what that means and how that at the end of the day can be, you know, applied to, you know, the game model and what they're doing in practice, like they're not going to care. And Mm -hmm. they're also like, won't really um, give me like the intent and the effort that I need. So I feel like what I've just learned is that it just takes time. Um, And um, like teaching is coaching. So constantly like emphasizing, you know, why it's important, how it applies to basketball, how it applies to them as individuals, how it applies to, you know, what I'm seeing from their metrics, from catapult, from the force plates, X, Y, Z. So, you know, all of it at the end of the day should be backed up. Um, I shouldn't just be doing something just because I saw it on Instagram, right? So, sure, right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Um, so, last question I have it's more of a general one, I guess. If somebody were to want to learn more about strength conditioning and anything like that, which resources or is there a book, let's say, or even coaching, if they want to learn more about coaching, are there books or podcasts that you recommend people search out, go out on the search for? Um, that's kind of a hard question. Um, is it a hard question? I guess, I guess it's a good thing that it's last then. Yeah. I know I, I didn't put that in the outline, so you weren't prepared for it. <laughs> you know, um, oh man. I mean, I know what I would like go read, but. Yeah. What, what, uh, what would you go read? I mean, so I'm just like, I'm very heavily influenced by the people that I've been mentored under right. and like Charles Poliquin is obviously one of sure. those Christian Thibodeau um, is another mm. um, that I think their information, the content that they've obviously like put out and, you know, um, just I've been exposed to, I think is like yeah, high yeah. level. Um, but I mean, I guess we're living in a generation where there's more information readily available at your fingertips than anywhere before. So I feel like, you know, I think Derek Hansen and Les Spellman do an incredible Mm. job for like speed development. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm taking a course um, from Mark Bubbs, who's the Canadian basketball. Yep. yep. Um, He wrote, he wrote the book peak, right? Yeah. Um, so there you go. Go read Peak. That's what you're. That's what you've been trying to say this whole yeah. time. So I think there's. I mean, there's a lot of different avenues that I feel like you can go into. I think it's just a matter of like, you know, what you want to try to learn and. Right. Um. I think if you're like looking more so like instead of just like reading about information, I think a lot of people can read a lot of different books and listen to a lot of different podcasts. But what I would and have encouraged like people who have you know worked under me is you know you really need to find a mentor and you need to find people you know that can help continue to develop you and you know put you in positions to grow i think that's more valuable than like reading a book um right and i so like 
I guess in that regard, I like for strength and conditioning, I wholeheartedly um, encourage people to go find a mentor, like and a yeah, mentor that sure. like, you believe in that, you know, can help you. Um, mm-hmm. And then from there, like that's going to kind of point you in the direction of, you know, rabbit holes to chase. Um, right, right. So I don't know if that answered. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you coming on, taking the time. And uh, I'll I'll come down for a workout soon.